blessings to everyone. Welcome to the new Just Us Speaks podcast from Just Leadership. I'm your co-host, Lester Young. And I'm also your co-host, Hakeem Crampton. Just Us Speaks is being produced to amplify the voices of directly impacted people, particularly the voices of formerly incarcerated people. Just Leadership was founded on the principle that those who are closest to the problem are also closest to the solution, but too often further from the resources empowered to affect positive change. So on this first season of Just Us Speaks podcast, we're interviewing phenomenal leaders from the most recent 2022 cohort of Just Leadership's Leading with Conviction Leadership Training Program. Today we have my brother, my brother. We're talking to Derek Matthews. Derek is a former program director from Andorondo County Police Department Office of Reentry and Community Collaboration. Indeed, Derek has made solid contributions in law enforcement, critical infrastructure protection, federal asset protection, and real world operations in hostile environments. Some highlights of his service include over 25 years in the field of law enforcement and force protection at every level, including assistant police chief in the city of Glen Arden, Maryland, deputy director of operations for the Federal Protection Service, DHS, as a GS-15, and internationally sought-after consultant, advisor, and speaker. Okay, okay, my brother Derek. Derek. Derek has also worked as an international consultant providing his expertise for national disaster planning. He's a master trainer, workshop facilitator, moderator who has moderated several Rondo County town hall meetings related to the hostile race relation and other community-related activities. Exactly. So Derek served the office of the county executive as the Anne Arundel County Community and Minority Outreach Officer and Special Project Manager for two administrations. Man, Derek, he is a military veteran, author, and community leader. Derek, welcome to the Just Us Speak podcast. Brother, you've been busy. Like, yeah, that's a lot that we had to digest over there, man, to like share about that bio. But brother, welcome to this podcast, man. It's been a pleasure, pleasure you know, seeing you in the cohort, you graduating and doing yes. things even after the cohort, man. Welcome, yes, my sir. Brother. Thank you. Thank you, fellas. Next time we do this, all y'all got to say is a God-fearing brother, married <laughs> for 31 years with two amazing 26-year-old twins. Boom. We good. We good. We didn't have to go through all of that, right? I mean, and that's yes, all sir. good, man. So that's just to show you the reason your why is marriage, your children, and just service, you know? So just tell yes, us a little sir. bit about you before outside of what we've read. Tell us a little bit about you before we dive into some questions just that we have that we want to speak with you this morning about. Yeah, so, so you know, real talk. First of all, I appreciate JLUSA for the opportunity to be in the last cohort and, and be able to interact with folks from all over the country that while you guys read such incredible things on paper, the reality is I am an African-American 56-year-old professional who found himself in prison for a minor infraction that should have gotten me two-day suspension. And, um, but most of all, like I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband of 31 years. Uh, my wife, uh, God bless her. I wouldn't have been able to accomplish anything without her. I have two incredible children. I have a son. Uh, he's a military veteran now. I have a daughter that's an active school teacher. I'm the son of a pastor, I'm grandson of a pastor. So I am on a journey to uh, allow my calling to help people navigate life after incarceration. 
And that is my mission for the rest of my days here. I wake up every day to serve and to be able to help create opportunities for people to find find the best in themselves and be able to move forward from having any type of setback. Um, mm. So, yeah, so that's who I am, man. All right, brother. We see that you come from that bloodline of preachers and we about to say, yes, sir. Do we need to have the past the offering plate, all that yeah. stuff. That was some powerful yes, stuff that you shared with us, man. Amen, my brother. Yeah, just <laughs> give me an amen every once in a while. I'm good. <laughs> D, your, your bio is, you know, it's jam-packed with a lot of great success and achievement, you know, personal achievement. So, I mean, tell us though, you know, you know, what is it that you really do in your work, you know, and, and how are you advancing your work um, connected to your cause, your why? Hey, listen, that's a great question. So, so I asked myself, you know, throughout my career, you know, I was at the pinnacle of my career. I was one of the most senior African-American law enforcement professionals in the country at the position that I held with Homeland Security. And, you know, after 25 years of senior law enforcement and traveling the world, teaching presidential teams around the world, security operations and uh, 4,000 Greek police getting ready for the Olympics, you know, to find myself in federal prison, there was a piece of my life where most of you all can attest that there's a point sometimes where you can be so low that you are unable to even pray to figure out what God has in store for you. And when I really dug deep within myself sitting in federal prison, I realized that this was yet another calling, very much like uh, being swallowed by a whale type journey, being able to understand that God, once he set something for us, it's for us and it doesn't go away. And the reality was I had to tell myself, how am I going to rebrand? How am I going to get from where I'm sitting right now? And when I get out of here, what am I going to do with my life? I'm never going to be able to do all those things they just read. And the reality was, once I realized what, what I was living for, I came home and released the book and started taking that podium, sharing that story. It hit me one day and I said, you know, you have a gift. You are a public servant that knows law enforcement. Historically, law enforcement does not interact with formerly incarcerated people. Why don't you build a bridge to be able to make something work where those two entities realize that they don't have to be enemies? So as I started traveling the country after Ferguson and dealing with police departments, trying to help them figure out how they could better communicate effectively in the communities before the handcuffs go on, how do we now be able to deal with folks when they come home? So I was able to convince the masses that just give me a shot. Let me try this concept to build something within the police department and train a small group of officers just, be, just to be a little more sensitive and proactive and be able to help train and receive brothers and sisters coming out from behind the walls. And I can tell you, I was met with a lot of resistance, brothers, but, you know, there's a lot of people that came before me that have met resistance, but with dogs biting them and water hoses. So I knew I could do it. So that's that's how that came about. Well, that's just powerful, man. And and, and it's amazing for myself and Hakeem and as well as you, how we went into a prison with no expectation or had an idea of how we would be that that 
that environment was shaping mm. and molding us yes. for yes. something far greater than we even imagined, right? Yes. Like he was talking about me and Hakeem was talking about like the two individuals like Mandela or Malcolm. Yes. All of these men who went in these environments and they came out like, you yes. know, um, became better people. So I, I really thank you, man, for your contribution and yeah. seeing how important it is to build that relationship with law enforcement and yeah. the community yeah. of those who are formerly incarcerated. You know, my thing, too, is just like, what is the future goal for Derek Matthews today? Like, where are you sitting at? You mentioned you're 56 years old now. Where did Derek Matthews see himself in the next five to 10 years in this work? So, man, what a what a great question, man. And on my vision board that I had to actually recreate for the last cohort, you know, vision boards on evolving things. So mine changes periodically where I add or or take away things after I've accomplished them. But, you know, I have this vision right now to become a household name with a team of folks like you and Hakeem to take this network and be able to travel the country. And I think the first thing is changing attitudes and mindsets of the formerly incarcerated because everybody makes mistakes. We've all done something that put us in what we believe that the initiation of it, a very dark place that we would not recover from. But it's a mindset that carries us out of that and into the next journey. You know, I just finished telling the class that I'm sitting in now dealing with today. There's three types of people, right? There are those that are going into a storm, those that are in the storm, and those that are coming out of it. The reality is, what do you do when you come out of it? Are you equipped with the mental fortitude to be able to go take an opportunity? Because the opportunities exist for everybody, mm -hmm. but you got to go create your opportunity after life of incarceration, because nobody's just going to give you anything. But what I want to do is create a roadmap, like a JLUSA partnership and mm -hmm. the network of people that we have, where our voices now are the voices that people begin to respect as the experts in the room that can get us from point A to point B. Uh, I'm working with some economic development folks today, trying to get them to understand that it's fine to create jobs for formerly incarcerated people. That's, that's a road I fight every day, but mm -hmm. the economic development folks had a chance for me to hear today that we have to teach entrepreneurship. We mm -hmm. have to be able to teach brothers how to own a barbershop. Okay. Mm -hmm. You can cut hair, but can you own the barbershop? Mm -hmm. Can you not be begging for a seat at the table, but, create the table that everybody else gets an invitation from you to come sit at. And that's where I want to be able to take brothers like you all and organizations like this and be able to make that possible. So that's my life journey, man. And I'm either going to die trying or I'm going to see it through. Amen, brother. So that's one of my first amens, brother. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Powerful, powerful, powerful. You know, you just got through graduating, leading with conviction just recently. You know, yep. you got out of prison. You know, you you found out about this great organization that provides this leadership development training and you jumped into it, you know, and you brought something powerful uh, to your fellow cohort. So I right. want to ask you, you know, tell us about your experience with our leadership development training program, leading with conviction, and perhaps what was your favorite part of it? OK, so I'm going to tell you, man, I try to strive to be one of the realest and transparent people 
that folks during a normal day when they meet me get an opportunity to experience. And real talk, when you just talked about my experience, I just got chills in my body because, and if I get emotional, it's okay. I'm, I'm cool with it. To be in that environment, even though it was virtual, Mm. to be in the environment where I did not have to be concerned about explaining what I went through, to not be concerned about who's going to Google me Mm. when I'm done after they've met me, to not be concerned about what I say whether it's politically correct or not, was an opportunity that I had never experienced in my eight years of being home. Mm. And to be able to get on that in those classes once a month, it was like I looked for, it was every time a class ended, it was like the excitement would begin of when we meet again. So in between, for us to be able to communicate with each other and be able to encourage each other. Um, there were some encouragement sessions where, you know, I had a sister in the class who, you know, would allow her emotions sometimes to drive her out of a situation where after talking to me sometimes, she was now armed with the necessary patience and understanding that I didn't want her expertise to leave the room or present herself as an angry black woman. So yet she now felt more armed and more equipped to be able to deal with those things that she was forced to deal with in her work environment. And and the real talk was I had exercised those things to come home and be able to open businesses and be able to interact with two county executives, people that were running for governor, people that were running for mayor would consult me on how to properly get into the community and be received a certain way, you know, by exposing themselves and being transparent. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the, one of the things that I got from the class. And I would say my favorite part, Hakeem, was the sessions with you all to hear you speak and to say, wow, that brother sounds like, man, me and him could chop it up. Me and him (laughs) could have a conversation and build something together and not be concerned about, oh, I did that. Oh, he stole that from me. But yet we see things the same through the same lens. And that's the lens of having experienced what it's like on the other side of that wall. Mm-hmm. Man, powerful, brother. Powerful. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> we're going yeah. to have a whole lot of amens today, right? Amen. Hey, look, I'm telling you, man, I try I try to keep it real, man. We really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you, bro, just for keeping it real. Just Leadership USA amplifies the power of directly impacted people by investing, educating, empowering, and elevating their voices so they have the tools and resources to self-organize and advocate for themselves, their families, and their communities. Together, we build an equitable, fair, and just U.S. To date, over 1,400 leaders in 45 states and in Washington, D.C. are hard at work transforming people and communities who are harmed by mass incarceration. Please partner with us to bend the arc of criminal legal reform by donating to our leadership programs today. 
Our network of leaders is strong and growing. Together, we're building local power for national impact. Every donation supporting JLUSA and our leaders has a ripple effect across families, communities, and generations. With your support, we can continue working together towards our singular vision of a just, equitable future for all. To learn more, go to jlusa.org backslash give 2023. That's jlusa.org backslash give 2023. And just to go to another another part of this is that when we read your resume, many people say, man, it's exhausting. Like you have been literally just running you know, for the entire 56 years of your life, basically, you've been running, moving. Eight years out of prison, you've been running, trying to build in relationships, and you said you're going to continue to do this work yes, sir. until you yes, transition sir. to to the next the next part of your journey in life. Yes, right? sir. Yes, sir. So I'm just going to ask, like, what is it that Derek do to take care of Derek? As your servant leader, you come from a line of pastors, and it's all about serving. But what did Derek? What did Derek do when it comes to self care? How do you take care of you? So I stay plugged into the higher power. I stay plugged in. Uh, I wake. I wake every day. I give. I give thanks. But I, I, I got to go on record and say that I have one of the most incredible African queens mm. that I think God has just. I think I've just been blessed. My wife and I have been together for thirty-three years. Married for thirty-one. We dated for a year, were engaged for a year, and got married. Mm-hmm. I think together we produced two of the most incredible children and now adults that have never caused me any grief. They've done nothing but made me proud. Mm-hmm. But Lester, I think at the end of the day, what drives me, man, is my why. And I know that I've got to eat healthy. I've got to read the right things. I've got to listen to the right music. I have to be in the right places. And I tell you, life after prison requires that there's some people that you ran with back in the day that you can't run with no more, man. Because if they're not trying to help you build, they're really serving you no purpose in life, man. And and if you're concerned about them being jealous about you, I mean, if you really want to see your true friends, tell them you about to go to federal prison. Tell them you about to go to prison. And see over the next couple of months how they respond mm-hmm. to your getting ready journey to leave. See how they treat your family while you're gone. Mm-hmm. See how they receive you when you come home. And then that'll give you an indicator of your wife and children and your family and a family now that my JLUSA family, that's real family. You don't have to be the same blood type, the same DNA. But to travel these journeys together and to be able to be received and loved, I mean, less than Hakeem, truth be told, the three of us could be in a room right now, convince anybody that the three of us grew up together in the same household because of how we would bond immediately because we know where we've been. And to be able to balance that. I try to master it every day, you know, and I try to make sure that I remain humble. And I think humility is something that we've got to teach young men and women that I'm not better than anybody on this phone. I'm not better than anybody that's going to watch this podcast. 
I just want to 99.9. We all the same DNA, black, white, red, African, Indian, Asian. You know, at the end of the day, we are all mankind. We are all human. And the quicker we start to understand that, the better off we'll be. And I try to just balance that. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's powerful. That's powerful. And, and, you know, Derek, you know, many people who go to prison for the first time open up a book. You know, mm. like myself, I went to prison at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Very knowledgeable in terms of my capacity, literate to read. Mm-hmm. I had never read a book from cover to cover before. Right. I never picked up a book to engross myself in it until I went to prison. And it right. helped me tremendously. Yes. So my question, Derek, is did you, for example, read while you were in prison? And if you did, what book or perhaps books were very inspirational and powerful to you to help set the stage for your post release. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, man, that's a great, I've never been asked that before. And I can tell you, I probably read 85, 90 books while I was gone. And I tell you, I start from the beginning. You know, I, I, I had grown up with a church foundation, right? Always in the church. My mother had me up there reading scripture when I was seven. And it wasn't open for option. It was, you could be sitting there pretending you wasn't really <laughs> you weren't paying attention, right? But then when your mother says, and, and now uh, Master Derek is going to come up and read the Old Testament, you know, and, and her as a school teacher by trade, you know, reading was something, we, you know, there, there was no option. Your, your education was first, right? But I said, you know, I've been playing with the Bible for like a long time. I mean, I'm in the podium every Sunday, but I had never read the Bible from first page to last page. So I gave myself a schedule. I said, I'm going to read the Bible and be done by this date. Well, I did that. And it allowed me to kind of process that that book is full of uh, love stories, trials and tribulations. It's got violence in it. It's, it's got everything that you can possibly imagine in one book. And when you process it, the people at the end of the day, they're Derek's, Hakeem's and Lester's that ultimately we call prophets and we call, you know, uh, teachers and and all of this stuff. And I began to really say to myself, let me go back and dive back in this thing again and now take it a different look and try to see myself and how. So let's take like a Job. Okay, Derek, you having a Job moment. You having a 40, 40, 40 days in the, in the, in the, in the desert moment. You're, you're having a being swallowed by a large fish moment because you, you didn't adhere to what was told to you. You didn't follow instructions. And the more I began to see that, the more the humility and the more that I began to see inside of myself. Mm-hmm. I called myself a business person. I thought I knew business, right? But I had never read Think and Grow Rich. I had never read Napoleon Hills, which is the number one selling book next to the Bible. Mm. I had never taken the time to, and wealthy people had told me about the book years ago. And then I said, okay, let me read it again. And to hear a Henry Ford say he knew nothing about building cars. But if I put the right people in the room, Mm. I know I can build a car. Right. So now you move fast forward and say, "Okay, I can't speak in this state or I can't reach the police department in this state. But let me call Lester. Let me call Hakeem 
and get them to get me in front of the right people. Or let me get them to partner with me and have them do it because that's their turf. And I begin to learn that when we start to read differently, we begin to act differently. And depending on what we read. So I read a lot of T.D. Jakes. I read a lot of Les Brown. I tried to stay centered with people that look like me that had stories similar to mine that had overcome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's been a journey, man. I started listening to different things. My music changed. You know, you can't be listening to music, man, where you call your wife your queen and your daughter your princess and this brother talking about this sister over here is a B and she doing this. Come on, man. It's, that, that conflicts. That totally conflicts with how you should be living, right? That's, it's, that's, that's powerful, man. Yeah, it's it's like eating, man. You can't say, "Oh, I want a six pack," but you eating pizza every day and eating Seven Eleven hot dogs. You can't do that, <laughs> right? You you can't yeah. be you can't yeah you can't be walking down with a big gump in your hand talking about, "Oh, I'm getting ready to get it in," you yeah, know? And, yeah. So it's the same thing. We got to be able to feed that spirit and feed that mind. And and that's what I tried to do, man. man. I'm going back again, just reiterating, uh, man. This is this is a great podcast, man. I appreciate you, man. You you come in with like I said, like you said in the beginning, you come in being transparent, genuine, and I, and I really appreciate your candor and sharing. Because mm-hmm. thinking about like Malcolm X once said, he said reading awakened him from a dormant, mm. mentally alive. You know, I remember mm. repeating that when I was in prison, and I was like, wow, he went in ignorant and this mental grade you know yes. um, but he said reading awaken him mm. to be alive you know and that's yeah. just the power of books you know yeah. especially you know even even to this day man I, like in my office and your office Hakeem's man I know we surrounded with books like <laughs> I'm like on my third I'm, I think I'm gonna be fit I think I'm gonna read about maybe four books before the end of this month out because I'm right. like right. on my third book right now you know and I just right. love reading. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just one yeah. of those powers, man. Yeah. <laughs> we are so excited to invite you to the Just Leadership USA 9th Annual Benefit Gala, Monday, June 5th, 2023, at PhD Rooftop Lounge at Dream Downtown in New York City. We're excited to bring JLUSA leaders, allies, and advocates together in person to unite around our shared values and propel our vision for the future. During the last year, we've made significant strides in building our capacity and infrastructure to become the only national systems change movement and policy table led by and for directly impacted people. This coming June, please join us for our first in-person celebration in over two years. Learn more at jlusa.org backslash gala. That's jlusa.org backslash g-a-l-a. One of the last questions that we're getting ready to wrap this up, and you mentioned the stories of the Bible and and how you was able to identify what parts and phases of life, if you was in a Job moment, or mm-hmm. you was in a Moses moment, or a Jonah moment, or mm-hmm. whatever moments, you know, it just leads to this next question, like, who inspires your leadership in the work that you do? Because all of these men that you mentioned, I'm pretty sure they they are part of shaping your, your understanding or inspire your leadership today in the work that you do. 
You know, it's, it's funny. I love the way you cue me up to answer this. And it, this is, this is going to be interesting <laughs> because you said you named the men, right? Mm-hmm. My mother was my inspiration. Mm. My mother, my mother was able to, as an educator, as a woman of God, and what I saw us go through as a family, my mother had the keen ability to, and my father was a, my father was a powerful dude in his own time, right? Mm -hmm. My father was probably one of the most masterful business people I had ever met. He didn't have to go to college to do that. Back in the day, the brothers, you know, their streets, he had a PhD in street, right? But man, (laughs) he could run a business and manage people and money. But my mother was the glue that kept the family together, Mm. was able to lead in church, was able to step in and run a business in his absence. My mother was able to get homework done, manage five children, work a job, make sure everybody ate, make sure if you fell, you got the right size Band-Aid. She was able to shop. She was able to, she was able to masterfully, almost like a conductor of a fine orchestra, be Mm. able to, and all the while, she could go out in a civil rights movement and be able to rally people together to go vote. Mm. So to watch her and then to lose her mm-hmm. and then to, to lose her and have her, cause she died while I was in prison. Oh, wow. And one of her last words to me, my mother died of cancer. And I always like to share this story. It's in my book too. Mm-hmm. My mother, when she got diagnosed the second time with cancer, called the family together. And this is what she said. And then I'll stop right here. She called everybody in a circle. We all held hands and we knew, you know, it was bad news. And she said she told us she had cancer. She told us that it was spreading. But this is what she said, fellas. Everybody was holding hands. And she said, dear Lord, I want to thank you for this moment. I want to thank you for this day. I want to thank you for my family. But most of all, God, I want to thank you for putting cancer in my body. And there was a pause. There was a pause. And I'm like, where is she going with this prayer? And this is what she said after. She said, I want to thank you for putting the cancer in my body and not the body of one of my children. Man, let me tell you you something. (laughs) I'm probably going to get a little touch. To be that unselfish Mm. and to call herself that she was going to show us Mm. how to come together and how to be the example of strength. When my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer just before I came out of prison, my wife was now armed with the necessary equipment to know how to be a wife, a mother, who now is about to go into the battle of her life. And I watched my wife almost be a mirror image of my mother. And I'm telling you, from those two women to my children, my why is all about trying to leave a legacy of us being able to be a people that will continue to be those people who have survived some of the most horrific treatment of society, but yet we overcome every day. Hey, bro. I mean, you kind of like, hey, bro. Amen. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I love y'all, man. Oh, man. Listen, bro. Like, 
Wow, leadership from your mother, and, and, and you know me too. My mother was, you know, ultimately in the end, my ultimate greatest inspiration. So thank and you. I, for I got, her, I got her tattooed on my arm. This is her real signature, man, from her passport. I, yeah. I just finished speaking to fifty people. I'm going to meet them at the next location. Sometimes when I'm talking, people will see me look at my arm because every time that I get an audience, no matter what it is I'm training or facilitating. I know that she's standing over in the corner going, sugar, I'm proud of you. You did it. Mm-hmm. And that's just a good feeling, man. It's just sure. a good feeling, man. Hey, listen, listen, brother. We can wrap this up, man. You got a whole lot of amens from me. Hakeem, <laughs> it's, been, it's been really refreshing to hear that. And I'm glad that it's you able to highlight, you know, one, the power of, of faith the power of family and the power of love, black love. Yes, you know what I'm saying? Yes. That's something I honestly say that we don't see enough of formerly incarcerated men and women yeah. celebrating their marriage and, and relationship yeah. and celebrating their family. I mean, sometimes we yeah. only see where we're fighting the fight. Right. We don't realize right. that one of the greatest fights that we're doing is maintaining and managing and holding our family together. You know what I'm saying? So bro, right. I, really, I, I salute you for that. And all of the other black men and women out there, and all of the all of the men and women out there in the world, whether black or white, were really fighting to maintain their families. Yeah. I really appreciate that, Hakeem. Before we wrap up, you ain't got any last parting words, my brother? Nah, I just really want to, you know, thank you for taking the time to come on and share your thoughts and inspirational leadership with us. We hope our listeners will also benefit from your words. Like, you have any last important words, man? Tell the people Maybe. how they can find you. We'll give us a word of yeah. gave us a whole mouthful of motivation. <laughs> so I'm not gonna even ask you that, but just just leave us, you know, leave us with something to think about as we move through our day. And again, thank yeah. you. Hey, look, we all gonna get knocked down, right? But your faith is what's gonna get you through. Wherever you put your faith in, just understand that when you get knocked down in order to uh, you know, properly see things. You got to get on your knees sometimes and pray. So when you fall down, get in a position of being humble on your knees and know that the higher power has control. And just know that when God has something for you and, and he orders you, it doesn't go away. It's, you can ignore it all you want. But trust when I tell you, he's going to put a book, book fold in it and you're going to come back to it and you're going to see it again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if he gives it to you, he's going to get you through it. Again, Derek, thank you, brother, for taking the time out. Continue to do what you do, man. We're going to let you go. Go and okay. impact more people in, in Maryland yes, sir. around the world, my brother. We yes, love sir. you. Love y'all back, man. God bless y'all, and I appreciate the opportunity.